Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting or both about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk all things Sheffield Wednesday is, and I'm so excited to say this, a genuine rock star, lead singer of one of my very favourite bands, Reverend and the Makers. It's John McClure. John, how are you, pal? That's it. How's it going, mate? All right? I'm very good. Very good. Big day uh, for both of us, you especially. Um, do you want to say what happened this morning, momentous occasion in the McClure household? Indeed, yeah, my youngest uh, child, I've got two little boys and a little fella, he's only four, he started school today. So, yeah, very, uh, very teary, uh, teary wife, as she waved a little boy <laughs> off, to, uh, off to school, but we've, we've rang him up, uh, I rang him up, he's gone in the park with his, with his mum now, and uh, I FaceTimed him and he said it was very good. Uh, so, yeah, all good, all good. Yeah. How are you guys? I'm good, pal. Yeah, I was saying to you just before we start recording, my I've got one, I've got a 10-year-old girl and she started year six today, so the big year in primary school. So um, yeah, she's one, of the, she's one of the queens or the kings or the queens, whatever you want to call it, of her school now, so she can go in and rule that place for a year before she goes yeah. back to the bottom of the ladder at high school next year as well. So I think she's going to be strolling in like a boss then tonight. Yeah, she's got a leather jacket on, she's gone full Fonzie. <laughs> go in there rule that gaff yeah nice, no. nice so yeah now jane really excited well first of all really glad um that you spared a bit of time today on a big day in your gaff to talk to me today but obviously really delighted to have you on i, I genuinely mean that reverend and the makers one of my all-time favorite bands um no oh, bless you thank you mate no you guys are absolutely fantastic the state of things is probably my top 10 albums of all time i could talk about it for hours wow. okay I love it. It's an absolutely brilliant album. There's people not listen to you in general and that band, uh, that album, I should say specifically. Oh, after you listen to this podcast, go check out the band, go check out the album. And yeah, if, if you're a fan of Reverend's already, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you're not, get on it. Um, and talking about the band, um, you had a big weekend, didn't you? You played um, your first gig, I think you said on Twitter, close to two years at the weekend. Uh, Neighbourhood yeah. Weekender. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to big it up too much, but we, they put us in the big top. And we were up against James and like the tent's massive there. And I'm thinking, oh, we've not played for two years. I'm thinking, oh, I hope people like, still like us. You know, it sounds <laughs> daft. Like, I, I hope I know how to sing and like what to do with my arms still. I was really, I was really, honestly, really nervous. Oh, um, wow, really? I mean, you can't yeah, be going like, for years now, but so you still, still get the butterflies when you go on stage. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like looking like when the other band, I'm like, oh God, I hope tent fills up. Like, what if no one comes? And then like, we got on and it rammed and it, like everyone were going mental and it would just, like, I don't want to big it up too much, but it, well, I felt like I was having some sort of like religious experience. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? You know, just, it's been yeah. such a long time. I think that's the longest I've ever gone not playing a gig, you know? Um, and yeah, just to be back, we're just amazing. I feel so happy. I've, I was buzzing all all day yesterday about it. Yeah, well, I saw a load of tweets from from fans of yours over um, over it's on Sunday yesterday because you played on Saturday. Mm. You, you were gigging on. It was a three day festival. You were on on Saturday, and on the Sunday, I was sort of going through my Twitter timeline and seeing people absolutely buzzing off off your set. So um, no, that's absolutely fantastic. And as you say, it's the longest you've not played for. That's oh, I'm guessing that's COVID related. And I know speaking mm. to sort of people involved in the arts through this podcast and just socially comedians and actors and stuff that it's been a really, a really tough time for everyone involved in the arts. I guess that's, that's been the same for you guys as well. Yeah. I mean, we, we've like hammered festivals for like 10 years and my manager were like, Oh, let's have a year off doing all festivals just cause like, you know, you can't play them every year, have a year off, come back, new album. You'll get good slots cause you've not played for a year. That's what we planned to do pre pre COVID. Mm. And obviously the pandemic happened 
so we've got like no gigs, no tours. And at that point, you're like, oh, God, I hope we're going to be all right. You know, financially more than anything else, mm. being honest, no money coming in. Luckily, got signed a new record deal, so that's why Elter's art steadied the ship a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's been dead tough for a lot of musicians. And, you know, a lot of bands, we probably just about operate at a level where we can afford it and we're all right. But there's bands, you know, a lot of people, and they've, they've really struggled and they've, they've been struggling even to get a job and then having to, like, take work on, you know, to, to kind of keep paying bills and stuff. And I think a lot of creative people, not just musicians, actually, I've got, like, you know, friends who are actors and mm. a lot of people who are they're just, you know, journalists, people just who are struggling because there's not that sort of demand there. I mean, it's... it's um, but you know what? I think, like, we haven't been a proper doom monger. It's, you're just starting to see a few signs now, aren't you? Things start picking up and festivals yeah. happening. And obviously, Euros were a big thing in summer. Went, me and my brother went to, like, a couple of matches. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah. And I think, like, odd things starting to happen. We you think, you know what? We're getting back into it a bit, aren't we now? And it's starting. There's a few nice things happening. We're starting to make new memories post all this stuff, you know? So I'm looking forward to next year. I think next year might be like, Third summer, I love a summer, you know what I mean? I think everybody's <laughs> going to be having it, aren't they? That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, well, it's interesting with the festivals, because I think Reading happened this year, but but Glastonbury didn't, and I, I think a few others didn't. So a little bit of inconsistency. Obviously, Neighbourhood Weekender, where you played, happened. So I guess everyone's just at different levels of kind of optimism, pessimism, worry, fear over these things. But as you say, next summer, you kind of feel everything will be back, won't it? It'll be buzzing. It'll be a great summer for music next year. Yeah, I think that like physical proximity thing's quite a, a thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. like just sounds daft, but being close to people, you know, and, and mm. feeling that kind of I don't want to I'm I'm like on verge of like being religious about it, and I'm not a religious person, but you know that sort of oneness that you feel when you're in a big crowd in a yeah. in a football crowd or a gig or whatever. I love all that. Yeah, you know, just yeah. I think when we've got a full calendar next year when all the things are back and everybody's sort of not worrying in the back of the mind, it'll be wicked. Absolutely. You know, I think it's going to be awesome next year. Yeah. Well, I just want to talk a bit, before we get on to the football, I just want to talk a bit a bit more broadly about Sheffield music because I don't think, I mean, Sheffield's not really spoken about as a, as a, as a, as a hotbed for British music in a way, for instance, like Liverpool and, and Manchester is. But, mm. I mean, loads of great bands have come from, from Sheffield. I mean, there's yourselves, there's also, of course, the Arctic Monkeys, Pulp, and then going back, the likes of Human League and Def Leppard. I mean... Is there something about the nature of the city that lends itself to great music, or is that just a coincidence? I mean, have you have you ever sort of thought about why so many great acts come from Sheffield? So the great uh, Richard Hawley, who we have, of course, in yeah, has, Richard Hawley, yeah, Richard's got a theory on this which I love because he's like the king of Chef, you know what I mean? He's older than me, he's the man, <laughs> right? And he says we used to have this thing called Little Mesters where they would share a forge, obviously Steel City, they share a forge, and then you would go back and you would make like add mech hammers, you'd make chisels next person down here they're going to make nails and he says there's something about the city because of the geography of it and the history of it he reckons like contributes to us having these like sort of coexisting scenes that are all doing the thing so for example you've got like bring me the horizon massive metal band playing arenas i didn't even know they were and they're playing arenas right mm. the home of british electronic music started here cabaret voltaire human league all these bands Started at Sheffield Poly and stuff. And like at the same time, you've got like Def Leppard kicking off and stuff. And uh, all he just thinks it's there's something about the city that enables it to facilitate these little like mini scenes. And I guess um, my band come around as part of one of them scenes. There were us, the Arctic Monkeys, Milburn, uh, Little Man Tate, the Long Blondes, the Harrisons, Bromage, Jackie. There were loads of us at the time. 
Uh, obviously, you know, there's the there's us and the monkeys, and you know, to obviously us, to, uh, Milburn a bit, who sort of maybe still around doing bits and stuff. But a lot of them bands have gone. It's a shame. But even now, there's there's good there's a good scene in Sheffield, you know, for for music and the stuff happening. It just I don't know what it is. It's just something water, as we say in Sheffield. That's the there's like a. I don't know, it's just a musical city, but also we don't sort of celebrate ourselves in the way Liverpool and Manchester do. Yeah, we don't well, have... yeah, that's the thing. Those cities really sort of wear their musical history on their on their sort of heart, if you like, on their heart and sleeve. And Sheffield, I feel less so, but there's obviously, as he just rattled off, I mean, I rattled off, I think, five acts there. And Richard Hawley, you've added, obviously, a bad of me to forget him, of course, legend. And there's others as well. I mean, yeah, there's loads of great acts come from Sheffield. I think, I think like, part of our, our, like, stick, our makeup is the fact we're a bit, like, more... Like low key about it, so yeah. you think how full park we all like charity shop kind of get up <laughs> that 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 style that they kind of popularise because that charity shop scene that's like went to London, Brick Lane, and all that. A lot of that's from Sheffield and from Pulp, you know what? what yeah, yeah. That kind of clothing thing, and I think like that's part of Sheffield's thing. It's a bit like it's not so alpha, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a bit like more humble sometimes, and I think like um, we like it like that. And also, there's a perception of Sheffield as like, um, can we swear on this? Do we? Yeah, go ahead. Swear there's away. There's a perception part. of Sheffield as a like an industrial shithole, right? Yeah. It's got the most trees of any Western European city, and it's got the most alumni who stay in the city after uni of anywhere in the country. Oh wow! And it's 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 like um, it's not what you think it is, right? And I think yeah. that contributes to the musical thing because it's like um, there's a lot of available. Uh, old factories to practice in mechanising, where a lot of that land in say Manchester will have been bought up now for, for flats or whatever. Mm. Sheffield's still probably like enough of an industrial shithole in some areas for it, like you to have a cheap practice room that yeah. you can just get. You know, and it, that's interesting. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's there's lots of factors in why, but it keeps reinventing itself. Sheffield, it keeps doing its thing and. Like the raving scene, the dance music. There's, I mean, there's a type of music they call it's not my thing, but baseline music, and that originated in Sheffield. You know, like like twenty years ago or something. There's bleep music as well, which is at the time that like um, acid house happened, and there were like the acid end of Sheffield had its mm. ent- entirely different, separate thing called bleep. Um, Testo and other record warp records obviously started in Sheffield. Warp films are still in Sheffield. It's a it's a creative place, you know what I mean? I've, I, I have lived in other places, but I, I've, I live here now and I love living here. It's just a great spot, you know, You and it's friendly, it's warm. That's the other thing. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, right, let's get on to the football then, John. So, um, obvious question. Why is John McClure a Sheffield Wednesday fan? Um, my mum. My mum's side, my dad's from Lake District, he's from Workington. It's my mum, they're Everton fans for whatever reason. No teams up there, have they really? But my mum's family all support. Wednesday and like my nana used to go on about like dancing with players in like 1935 or something when they won the FA Cup uh, she used to like I think they come back on tr- like trade next day and they had like a ball or something I reckon my nana were like maybe like a proto wag you know what I mean early <laughs> early to the wag scene <laughs> got in there nice and early yeah. you know what I mean war time wag yeah bit of ballroom in the 30s <laughs> yeah. um and then obviously going through that, my uncles went to Wembley, my, my mum's brother, my mum's like one of seven, my mum's family's massive, like, I'm related to like everybody in Sheffield, <laughs> and my granddad, my granddad had a fast push bite, you know what I mean? Um, 
So they're all Wednesday nights. They were at Wembley in the 60s when we like lost to Everton in the FA Cup final. And then my cousins would have been going and my cousin's husband, Gary, they would have been all like kind of banging to it in the 80s, early 90s. And obviously at that point, we got to Wembley, didn't we? We would beat Man United in the League Cup final. And they're like me, sort of, that's the moment when I'm getting into it big time because mm. we've got a good side. You know, and then you're moving through that into into sort of '93, Waddle and Hurst and all that. Park Carlton Palmer, Sheridan, that great era. Um, and it like we used to go. My dad used to take us. We used to go regularly. We had season tickets, and it were. We I live near the ground. Like I grew up near the ground as well. You know, so there's that. You feel the kind of heartbeat of the club, mm. don't you? Because you near it. So yeah, it were always like we we always like Everton because of my family connection. My dad's. Grand, my granddad's brother played for Everton. My uncle supports and my granddad supported him. So we always check for Everton and I've got a lot of love for Everton. But yeah, it's Wednesday, blue and white stripes. Excellent. Well, we'll get on to the 90s because that is a, a yeah an epic period for, for the club and obviously for you because it's the time you start to support the club. Before we do that, there will be a few people probably listening to this wondering why Sheffield Wednesday are called Sheffield Wednesday. Do you know? I have done my research. I'll, I'll, I'll explain if you're not sure yourself. It's obviously a very unique team name. Let me go for this. I'm, I'm going to. I think this is right, but I may be wrong. Were we a cricket club, and we decided on a Wednesday to have a football club as well? Yeah, well, I think that's yeah, that's pretty much spot on. So the club was founded in September 1867 by members of the Wednesday Cricket Club, which are local craftsmen whose weekly half day off was Wednesday. So I'm presuming that's when they played cricket. Um, the football club was known as the Wednesday until June uh, 1929. And then they were renamed Sheffield. Uh, uh, that's at the point where they were renamed Sheffield Wednesday. So if anyone was was wondering. Um, now, your first game, I always get people who come on this podcast to, um, to you know, uh, to let me know what their first game was. And your first game, uh, pretty unique because it was the home. It was at the home of your rivals. It was at Bramall Lane. Um, as you described it. Yeah, there used to be a... Yeah, I was going to say, you described it brilliantly, a Steel City Cup thing in 1988. We played in green and there's no record of the fixture, but you're pretty sure it happened. Um, I've got to be honest, I did my own research into it and you're right. There's no, uh, there's no record of this game. I can't find any information on it at all, but you're pretty sure it happened. And that's extraordinary that your first Sheffield Wednesday game was at Sheffield United. Yeah, I'm sure we were like stood up on it. You used to have like a corner terrace, but you could st- didn't have a roof on it, United. But I've got a memory of like Carlton Palmer bar in a green kit. I don't know. Do you know what it is though? You know, when you're very young, you yeah. sort of your memories are really easy, aren't you? So I could have, I don't, maybe I've invented this match. I don't know, but it, I'm sure I walked to it and I can remember walking with like my cousin Julie's husband, Gary. Um, <laughs> and they, they definitely used to have like pre season friendlies Wednesday night. It were called something like the Steel City Cup or something like rubbish like that. Um, I don't know, maybe I've, maybe I've invented, I mean, definitely, I remember we had season tickets, the season that Big Ron left for Aston Villa, so that'll be, and Daly and Atkins, did he go to Villa as well from Wednesday, so maybe this is like 92? Well, Ron um, Atkinson left in June 91, uh, right. not so three this months is, after League Cup win, yeah. Right, so this is this must be the September, the August just after that, we got season tickets on the North Stand with my dad because we used to sit near away fans and my mum were like dead worried that she'd heard. And she was like, oh, I've heard that fans throw coins. You can't sit near away fans. She was like dead worried about it. Um, so that will have been, I guess, when I started going regularly and remember having a season ticket 
Um, we were also, whilst we had them teats, we were on the opening credits, a match of the day, me and my dad and my brother. Really? Yeah, because there was oh, some wow. goal that, like, someone's top, we played Tottenham and Tottenham scored some kind of goal and it, it was on the opening sequence, a match of the day, Excellent. and you could see us in background. Yeah, we used to love it. So is this sort of early 90s uh, match of the day, the early 90s credits for match of the day, sort of Des Lyons? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, wow. I'll try and find that. We get... Yeah, Wednesday's getting a good side at this point. Trevor yeah, yeah. Francis has, has taken over as like player manager, as he was at that time, Trevor. Um, and we had a great side, you know. And we were, we were, I believe, that season or the season after, we could have won the league on the last day of the season. Mathematically speaking, we were still in... I think we finished third in the end behind... Mm. Um, Man United or yeah. might have been Leeds. This is, the, I can't, you know, around this time. But we had a we had a great side and it it felt like a, a sort of exciting place to be, Hillsborough. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid, so everything's exciting when you're a kid, mm. right? At that age, um, but it felt good Wednesday around that time. It would it would have kind of a good time for the club, you know, because uh, I believe we'd spent a long time in the doldrums in the seventies, particularly, and to some degree the eighties, you know, and and it, we'd reached a, I guess the the highest level we've ever been at really at that point. Yeah, well, it was. I was going to come to this later. We'll, we'll do it now. But yeah, I'll do do my sort of research. I mean, that period is my period as well. I think we're very similar. I think you were born in eighty one, weren't you? December eighty one. Yeah. I'm, I'm March eighty one. Yeah. So essentially the same age. And that early nice period is kind of when I got into football as well. And I remember Sheffield Wednesday getting to the League Cup final, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail shortly. But what I had no recollection of is that the last, um, sorry, this nineteen ninety one season, you actually finished. Um, you finished third in the in That's the. It. Yeah, in the uh, sorry, let me get this right. Sorry, third in the ninety one ninety two season. So the year Leeds mm. won the title. Yeah, Man United yeah. finished second, and I had no recollection of the fact Sheffield Wednesday finished third. You qualified for the UEFA Cup, which is um, yeah, just absolutely <laughs> just passed me by. I had no no because I remember you being good for, in the sort of Premier League era, the start of the Premier League era. But that's mm. the old first division season. Obviously, you were that's a cracking that was a cracking season. Third, yeah, yeah, we played. Kaiser Slaughter in the following maybe yeah. September, October. Right, yeah. uh, Spawn Luxembourg, we got, we beat them. 10 2, we beat Ka- Luxembourg. Absolutely battered them, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. we played Kaiser Slaughter, which is a mate, you know, like the other thing that's worth noting at this point is that we we had an option on Cantona. So he came mm. prior to going to Leeds. So this will be a year before he came to, um, he came to Wednesday and they said, oh, this is a trialist from France. And he played in a five-a-side at Sheffield Arena in a Wednesday kit against United Cantona yeah. for seen Wednesday. Pic- yeah, I've seen and pictures, I- actually, yeah. So apparently the club said, uh, oh, and we want to see him play on grass. And he drove up the road and signed for Howard Wilkinson at Leeds and the rest history. Yeah. Uh, but you think, you know, you put Cantona into that side, which Waddle later joined and a few others, and you think, Poof. you know, the history of the club could have been, could have been very different couldn't it? you know you look at mm. these sort of pivotal moments in, in history uh that that feels like the time really when the club could have really cement you know started a premier league era could have cemented itself as a real sort of force you know i mean you were talking earlier about the formation of the the club you, i don't know if you know but football the codified 11 rules and the first ever oldest football club is sheffield fc right mm, yeah there's, there's a real pedigree for the game in in this city um, it just feels like a missed opportunity in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I said, we'll get into the 90s in a bit more depth because there's loads I want to ask you about that. Really, really interesting time for the club. Just want to go back to Hillsborough. So it's one of the few uh, sort of 
iconic grounds in England that I've never been to, uh, sadly. And looking from afar, it looks like a ground that hasn't gone through much change. When I see Hillsborough on TV now, it sort of looks like how it looked when I was a kid. It doesn't look like it's gone through much change. Is that fair? Has it changed a lot during your time sporting the club? No, no. A, a little bit. The south stand, they put like a grandstand on top of there. Um, they changed the seats themselves. But no, the ground's very much the way it always has been for a long time. And obviously, the stand where the Hillsborough disaster happened is... It's got seats in there, but sort of aesthetically speaking, to look at, it looks very similar, right? And it feels... This, this is one of the grand old grounds of British football, yeah, right? Exactly, it's Villa yeah. Park, Goodison Park, Anfield, Old Trafford, and, and Hillsborough, right? It'll do one of the... And the, down the road, we've got the big uh, poles outside where the flags flew for the 66 World Cup. Pelly's played at Hillsborough twice and all this. And it, it is, it feels tired, it does. And there were plans afoot to re... We always blame Vladimir Putin in a weird twist of history, <laughs> right? We... Listen what? to this. Listen, listen, listen yeah, to I'm fascinated. Go know. on. You didn't see that coming, did you? Right. right. <laughs> Putin is actually inadvertently to blame for the state of the Sheffield Wednesday ground, right? Um, I think we, we, were, we were... England was in the frame to win a tournament. I can't remember which one it was. And it either got awarded to Russia. You'll have to check this. I'll have to check this afterwards. My brother yeah. was telling me this the other day. It either got awarded to Russia or the, the deciding ballot vote came down to Russia and they voted for someone else and we lost the tournament. And as part of the getting the tournament, we were going to redevelop some of the big grounds and they were like this yeah. computer projection, right, which you can still see online of what they were going to do to Hillsborough. And we were like, whoa, super, like the Emirates or something. It looked like that Tottenham ground, like men yeah. up. And uh, yeah, Vlad, yeah, fucked it all up. What a bastard. So, so, that's not the 2018 World Cup that we've just had. It's not linked to that at all, is it? It must have been earlier than that, I presume. 2018 World Cup was in Russia, wasn't it, obviously? Yeah, I mean, Putin's been in since, what, turn of the century? So yeah. it, must be, it must be this century. But yeah, I'll check with our kid. But he, he, apparently, yeah, he's, Vlad's the one to blame, right? Um, and also Mother Nature, because um, there is a... There is a river bang next to the river Don is bang next to uh, okay. the ground. We had a terrible flood, right? Which which came in and got all on the pitch and all this stuff, right? So Vlad and the River, Crimea River. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Fun title of this podcast, sorted. Right? There you go, mate. Yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, Vladimir Putin's done some awful things, but that's the worst, isn't it? Not allowing Hillsborough to get uh, renovated. Oh, that's his biggest listen, crime. <laughs> you can forget the annexation of the crime. You know what I mean? It's the Sheffield. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Cop South Stand Link Block. That's the issue, real issue. Yeah, that's why it should be at the Hague for that reason. You know what I'm like saying? That. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I was going to ask you about the Hillsborough disaster. I mean, it's it's hard it's hard not to avoid it, and, and we shouldn't avoid it either. Um, obviously, one of the most darkest, tragic chapters in British football history. Quite recently, <sighs> the 97th victim of the disaster, Andrew Devine, as well, passed away in July. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, where does what happened on the 15th of April 1989 sit in Wednesday's own history? Is it something Sheffield Wednesday fans sort of talk about? Yeah, it's, it's such a complicated, complex issue that I'm going to try and do justice to because the families, I know a lot of the families. I did a, mm. the justice campaign with the lads from the farm and Mick from The Clash mm. and John Power and all them. I've done Pete Wilder, done that tour, done that single, that charity single that they got. Um, did so well we've got to number one and all that and I got through that I got to meet a lot of the families so it's important that I think what I'm trying to say carefully I was I was there on the day in so much as my house is 
a mile, my mum and dad's house were a mile from the ground. We were on his bikes. I remember everyone was like, something bad's happened at Wednesday ground. We all ran in, we saw it on the TV. And after that, we, we would see the families making their way up the main road mm. after all sat in the side of the road crying all this stuff and I think like just horrendous you know horrendous and a failure by South Yorkshire Police as part in that and the cover up and the denial and there were a lot I, I've got to be tr- really honest there were some Wednesday fans who were of, of a mind of, of sort of not believing the Liverpool fans maybe people who read the sun and all that there were also a, a larger body of people who were really good to the Liverpool fans and showed a lot of sympathy and took them in. And I think a lot of them relationships are still there today. There's obviously the memorial there. For me, the stand should be gone because I think it's, it's, you know what I mean? It just, that's a Leppings Lane end, isn't it? Yeah. We, we used to sit in there for a while and it just, Mm. you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like it should be gone for me. I think it's just, it's a bad memory for a lot of people and I don't know how Liverpool fans feel when they go in there. It must be just horrendous for them. I can't imagine what that's like. And obviously, Peter from the farm was there on the day. I've come to know people who were there in the stand and all that. And you just think, like, you can't imagine what they were going through. And there's a bit of shame, really, because you think that's a lot of that police force, the people from Sheffield, right, who were, who were part of that cover-up. And there's a bit of shame attached to that for me because I think it's, it's, it's not nice, is it? You know, but listen... I think there's there'll there's there'll be a link between the cities and the fans for a long time, and I think it ultimately that disaster led to the you know the Justice Taylor report, weren't it? And the sort of the people the making football set safer mm. for the fans, you know, and, and that's the good thing. And I think the families fought for justice and they got justice quite rightly, got justice eventually. And I think that felt like a great moment. I have to say, having been part of that campaign and trying to reach out and help. I mean, the reason I wanted to do that is as a Sheffield lad I wanted to show that we stand with you people yeah. from Liverpool you know what I mean I wanted to set to because I've loved the Scouts and I've always felt they've treated me as like one of their own you know what I mean I've got mm. this like love affair in Liverpool and I feel like I just wanted to stand shoulder to shoulder with him and just say look we're with you we agree with you we we realise you need to get justice for this and and they did they, you know they they're incredible aren't they Liverpool what a city you know what I mean and, and I love our like Liverpool and Everton we're in it together. I think that's a great thing because Everton's a great club as well. It's worth mentioning them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that let's let's hope in the future we've got Chance here in our and he's got a bit of money and there's, a, there's an idea that Wednesday might either redevelop Hillsborough at some point or even move grounds at some point to another stadium. So let's hope that stadium, that particular stand's not long for being redeveloped because I think it's, it's overdue. Yeah, that's all well said. I mean, I, I'm a Liverpool fan myself and I, I've got to say, I've, I've spoken to campaigners involved in Hillsborough and people who lost family members and stuff. I, from what I can say, and I can't speak for all Liverpool fans, but just from anecdotally, I mean, I was, I was, I was saying we're similar ages, so I was very young at the time. Mm. I don't think there's any ill feeling among Liverpool fans towards Wednesday fans at all. They don't hold them responsible at all. But obviously a lot of anger and hurt in terms of, as you say, the cover-up from South Yorkshire Police and the mm. government. And, and I think, yeah, it's a tricky stadium of fans to go to. I think... Obviously, when Wednesday were in the Premier League, Liverpool fans were going there regularly. I, I've never been because I, I mean, I'm in a, I'm a match goer now. I go see Liverpool play regularly. But at that time, in the 90s, when Wednesday were in the Premier League, I was very young, so I never went. So I don't know the feeling Liverpool fans have towards the stadium. But as I'm, I'm pretty sure, it's, as, as you said, it's 
it's a difficult venue for Liverpool fans to visit. And if Wednesday do get back in the Premier League or there's a cup tie there, I think it will bring back some some bad memories. So yeah, it's a tricky ground in in Liverpool. Well, it's tricky underplaying it. It's a it's a difficult, very difficult ground for Liverpool fans to kind of associate with even now but I don't as I said I don't think it's any ill feeling towards Wednesday fans at all I don't as I mean you're talking about feeling shame I don't think Wednesday fans should have to feel shame at all it's got nothing to do with them as I said it was the authorities above them that are responsible for what happened on that day in 1989. Yeah well I mean in, in return the the Liverpool fans and the people who were involved in the justice campaign have showed incredible solidarity with like yeah. uh, people who've been trying to get justice for like the Orgreave Mm, uh, there's yes. like an Orgreave, you know, for the Battle of Orgreave yeah. and what the police done there. And there's a, there's a sort of campaign to get a sort of, in, you know, an inquiry and some justice around that. And like people in Liverpool have been so supportive of that. And there's obviously a link between the two because it's the same police force. And there's this idea that like maybe at Orgreave, the police force did the government's bidding. So in return, the government sort of owed South Yorkshire police one. And there's a bit of a cosy relationship there that were a bit too sort of, you know, much like the politicisation of the police force and all this stuff. Um, but Liverpool, you know, the, the, them people involved in that campaign are incredible, you know, and I hope um, I hope we can beat Premiership, play Liverpool and have a good vibe with them because I think, um, like, it's great. I, it, it's, it's great to see, like, that them people have got, you know, some closure, I guess. I guess that's what it's about. And I think... It's about moving forward now, isn't it? You know what I mean? I think it's a, it's been a dark chapter in Wednesday's history and they're just like, you know, it's combined with the fact clubs been in doldrums for 20 odd years and then you've got this weird stand at one in the ground where something yeah. awful happens. You know what I mean? It just feels a bit, like, a bit weird. But anyway, there you go, yeah. mate. I don't, want to, I don't want to doom you out too much. No, you spoke really well about that. No, you, did, you spoke very well. Um, right, let's talk about something a bit happier then. Sheffield Wednesday in the 1990s. It was oh, the, the early 90s specifically. It was a great time for the club. And right at the start of the 90s as well, you, you kicked that decade off with a bang. So the 90, uh, the 1990-1991 season, you finished third in the, in the old second division. Uh, so you got promoted to the Premier League. And mo- most notably, you won the Rumbelows Cup, as it was known then, the League Cup. Or what's it known now? The Carabao Cup, I know, uh, as mm. it's known then. But the, the Rumbelows Cup, beating Manchester United 1-0 in the final at Wembley. John Sheridan, with the, goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. John Sheridan with the goal. It was Wednesday's first major trophy since the 1935 FA Cup final. And it also means, or meant, or means, I should say, Wednesday remained the last team to win one of English football's major trophies while outside the top flight. Um, yeah, what do you remember about that day? And given it happened so early in your sort of Wednesday supporting life, did you almost take it for granted? It was almost a sense of like, oh, this is what we do. You know, Wednesday go to Wembley and win trophies. It's it's just a normal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you don't know any different, do you? I, mean, yeah. I didn't go. I didn't go to the game because my dad wasn't like a Wednesday fan who would ever go to an, like a, an away match. I were only what were a nine. Uh, nine or ten, yeah, because you pointed out you won, weren't you? So I think yeah. you're nine, yeah, when the game happened, you were nine years old. So like I didn't I didn't I didn't go. We watched it on TV. We loaded my cousins and like my uncles and went. We didn't go. Remember like Sheridan. Remember that bit of commentary and like the sound of like the ball in the post. It was a really good goal, like, wasn't it? Because uh, Nigel Worthing yeah. put it in, uh, put a free kick in from the right. Gary Pallister headed out to the edge of the box and Sheridan just came in and on the, I think on the half volley just smashed it past Les Seeley in Man United's goal. It was a great finish. So my brother and the artist Pete McKee, who was from Sheffield, one of our great artists up here, do a podcast um, with the help, help from like the lads from Warp Film. They call it the Owl, uh, the Owl Sanctuary. And they did like a series of episodes interviewing like 
you know, old Wednesday legends and stuff. And they did one with Sheridan. Um, and he's sort of insights into that day and that game and stuff. And you think like United had a good side, you know, Brian, mm. I think Brian Robson were playing, weren't he? You know, they had, they had, well, I can tell you some names. Yeah. So United, you should say they, they hadn't won their first title under Ferguson yet. That was to come the year late, uh, two years later, I should say. Um, but they, yeah, as you said, had a really good team. I mean, in that team, you had Dennis Irwin, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister, and as you say, Brian Robson, Paul Ince and Mark Hughes all started that game. So that's a properly good Man United team you beat on that day at Wembley. Yeah, brilliant, and 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 like just a a kind of a feeling that the the squad that had got promoted, I think under Ron Atkinson, did they go up the same? Did we go up the same season? Right, I believe you did. You finished third. Yeah, yeah I think you got promoted that season as well. Yeah, it was like final. a young side. You've got David Hurst in that mm. side. You know, Sheridan, like a young team, like Carlton Palmer, and you're thinking like. This this squad could go on and, and really be a force. Um, and it just felt really exciting, like, you know, and I can remember everyone had like stickers in the cars and like beeping their horns and they all had like flags flying out of the windows. And it, and as a as a nine-year-old kid, that's incredibly exciting. And all my aunties were there. And I remember like they did like a what do they call it? Like a you know, like a open top bus tour and all that. And all my family and me went down to like wave flags at them and stuff. And yeah, I, I guess that's as, as a nine-year-old, you assume that's what football is, don't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Here we go. We're set for we're set for like glory days here. Yeah. Um, and it's just been unrelentingly shit, really. <laughs> <laughs> you started high and you just slid down gradually. You know what you... I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, great, you know, and and, and I think. Ron was a great, you know, he's a complicated character, really, Ron, because of all that, what happened years later. Yeah. But uh, great manager and a great personality, you know, big, big character. Um, and, and where they talk, I mean, Carlton Palmer, he seems like, they're having like an, I think, I, I, were Carlton suspended? I feel like Carlton Palmer might have been suspended and Danny Wilson might have played in middle alongside Sheridan. And I'm sure Carlton were like, this is on a podcast, so I'm not sort of disclosing. And in Carlton's book, which is amazing, Right, his books just so because he's so honest, Colin Palmer, he's like the yeah. most honest man in the world. And he was like, because I were like pissed all the way through it. He goes, they got me on, he got because he got me just there to purely just like vibe up all players. <sighs> and he said, um, he said I were having, he had like Stan Boardman, the co- comedian, like in on the in the dressing room on the coach with him, which is dead weird. Uh, and he says they were all like, having nips of whiskey and stuff. And Colin says he was, he was like a bit tipsy or during it. Match. And I'm like, what? So, like, they're drinking on real... the way to the game. The team are drinking on their way. Not to... the team, but I think like Colton and Ron. So like, oh Ron really? Like oh, yeah, yeah, you know, like proper yeah. old school stuff. But he says like, I've heard John Sheridan said this as well. Said Ron Atkinson didn't coach him really. He just sort of trusted senior pros who he thought were good characters mm. so i think nigel pearson were his captain would yeah he would, was would, he was yeah sure yeah. cliff maybe were playing at that time i think viv anderson were either there or thereabouts maybe maybe he didn't play till year after but there were some good senior pros right chris turner in goals they, apparently he just one just like let them run side a bit basically mm. and he'd sort of just act as sort of guy who picked team and sort of generally inspired him which is a quite a unique way of managing i think i don't think he were like today's sort of micromanaging tactical it's a long way from Pep Guardiola, right? Mm. Um, but the, what is interesting about all of them guys is they all speak so highly of Ron Atkinson. Like, they love him. Carlton, especially, who's like, like his sort of adopted son, still goes around to his house all the time and stuff. And they all, like, love him. So, like, yeah, a bit of a 
you know, special side, I think. Unusual bunch of guys. And obviously David Hurst, who's from Barnsley, who's just up road. It's a, it's a cliche to say it, it before his injury, you know. But he looked like being a world... Like, mm-hmm. They were him and Shearer, weren't they? You know, and he looked like being a, a legend, a real world beater at that time. He had everything, pace and power and all that stuff. So, yeah, just really exciting. And as a nine-year-old by this time, I'm buzzing on. I just love Wednesday. I'm like getting fully Wednesday up. And my uncle used to try and get me to support Everton. And I think like by this point, I'm like, no, nah, it's Wednesday, isn't it? It's a free kick now to Sheffield Wednesday. Brought Shirtley forward as well as Pearson, and Pearson has certainly scored some important goals this season. He's uh, on 12, near Shirtley. Now, what we might well find is uh, Worthington ducking over it, and, or rather, playing it down the byline for Hearts, who might well make a little run down that right-hand side. There he goes, there goes Hearts. Now, will Worthington play it? No, he plays the long one this time. an exceptional save but could only push it onto the post and Wednesday are in the lead it's a funny one with Ron Atkinson isn't it because yeah we should say he was manager of Sheffield Wednesday between February 89 and June 91 he then actually came back as well I'd forgotten he came back in November 97 as a short term replacement with David Pleat um, I mean he's held in high regard as you're saying there among Sheffield Wednesday players as well as fans I think he's you know f- fondly thought of at Villa as well who he, who he joined after leaving Sheffield Wednesday Aston Villa but um it's always difficult talking about Ron, isn't it? Without mentioning what happened in 2004 and what he yeah. said, you know, off it. Well, he thought he was off air while commentating for ITV. I mean, yeah, it was a pretty horrendous thing what he said. Won't, won't repeat it here, but yeah, I mean, how, how does he, I mean, obviously you speak of, of him with great fondness, but that's got tarnished his sort of reputation legacy a little bit among Wednesday. It really has. Yeah, it really yeah. has. And there's this, assumption, I mean, looking at this stuff with Ryan Giggs lately and this is assumption that's because someone's a good manager or a good football player it also means they're a nice person and it doesn't yeah. does it the, 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 the two are often not the same thing and it's the same with musicians let's be honest you know a lot of musicians who people love and adore are horrendous humans and, and or if not horrendous humans have views or opinions that are abhorrent right yeah. and Ron yeah terrible terrible thing to say and weirdly like Carlton will defend him and they'll be like he's not really like that he just which is Carlton knows him better than me, right? And who's to disagree with him? Because he knows him. But equally, ugh, just leaves a bad taste in mouth, doesn't it, when people yeah. are saying stuff like that? You know what I mean? I don't like hearing stuff. And it's a bit embarrassing because you want to love your heroes, don't you? You want to love your heroes. You want to be able to sort of, um, to like love them retrospectively without complication. And and it, tar- it does tarnish you a bit because you just yeah. think, come on, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. Um, but yeah, real character, you know. Chinese takeaway, karaoke, <laughs> all that, all that stuff, you know. And it, it's a shame because it's like, I, listen, I look at him more as that, like, you know, that you're like, I tell you now, like a lot, a lot of like white people have got them uncles who like 
Peter K calls Uncle Nobbed. You know, them ones who like a bit of a dickhead, a bit of a dickhead, really, aren't they? When you analyse it, I know he's your mum's brother and he's like, he's a, he's kind of funny, but he's a bit of a dickhead, isn't he, at the same time? It's one of them when we're on Atkinson, and he used to be like, oh, why did you have to spoil it all? Don't yeah. worry, John, Asians have got Uncle Nobbeds as well, don't worry. I've got, <laughs> I've got a few, I've got, I've got two or three, so don't worry about it. It's, yeah, it crosses ethnicities, the Uncle Nobbeds. Good, good, yeah. good, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was obviously a great season. And I, I, we've got to talk about another season that came very soon after. I mean, so as I said, um, I'll go back a bit slightly. Obviously, so yeah, you won the League Cup in 91. And then we, we mentioned earlier, the, old, the, the last first division season before it became the Premier League, the 91-92 season, you finished third, which was obviously a great achievement. So Sheffield went on a massive role here. And then the 92-93 season, which I know from our sort of correspondence before we started recording, is a, is a season that means a lot to you and that team specifically. And it was a great season for, for, for Wednesday. So it was the first ever Premier League season. Wednesday finished seventh, level on points with Liverpool in sixth and Tottenham in eighth. He finished above Arsenal, who were 10th that season. Everton, who were 13th. And most importantly, I'm guessing from your point of view, Sheffield United, who finished 14th. But also crucially that season, you've, you've, you reach both domestic cup finals, the FA Cup final and the and what was then known as the Coca-Cola Cup final, the, the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you lost both, sadly, to Arsenal. But, I mean, that's an incredible season. You finished seventh. Um, you've reached both cup finals. You played in Europe, as we mentioned earlier that season, playing um, uh, that team from Luxembourg, Spora, Luxembourg and Kaiserslautern. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, is it a Martin saying that's a big season in your in, in terms of your memory supporting Wednesday? The 92 that's the season. Yeah. If we talk, you know, that's the season. We signed Chris Waddle, right? Start of mm. this season. This season, yeah. he's 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 come from Marseille. He's a global superstar. He's an England international. He's super cool, and he he comes into what's already a very talented side. There's senior pros there. Viv Anderson, I think he's there. Trevor Francis, he's there uh, as manager now. Ron's left, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of like, you know, Chris Woods has now joined in goal. Nigel Worthington, he said, it's a good side. He yeah. said, Sheridan was an incredible footballer. Palmer will, just, will run into ground, you know, like he'll just do all of it, all the Shezzers running so he can just ping it around. It's, it's a wonderful, on paper especially. And, and then the manner, of the, fo- the manner of the football. So there's a game, they call it the Waddle game against West Ham at home. I think it's this season. Might be the season after, I'm pretty sure it's that season. And we win 5-1 and Waddle was like, We've never seen anything like it. It's like Zidane-esque. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, it, David Burrows is marking him. And there's a moment, Waddle talks about it in this podcast I was telling you about. And, and there's this moment when um, I think Harry Redknapp's West Ham manager, and he, he, he brings off like the left winger who's playing in front of Burrows to chase the game. And Burrows is already struggling. Now he's got no cover, right? And Burrows goes mental at Harry Redknapp and you can see him on camera, you know, just like, really? what are you doing? I'm dying now, yeah. <laughs> And by this point, Waddle's like, because he, he could do that to defenders, Waddle, like, put you on your arse, yeah. get ball up again. He did it to Ryan Giggs famously, like, let you get up again, put you on your arse again, Then he'll only then he'll cross it in. And yeah, the manner of the football, the cup run, and like the whole thing just feels so exciting. You know, it just feels like incredible. And I don't know if Des had joined by then. Maybe Des Walker were a year after that. Yeah, actually. I think he came the following year. Yeah, he's not part of yeah. this 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 team in this season. Yeah, I, I thought in my head he was, but he, yeah, he came a little bit later actually. So he's not part of this. Yeah, team, Mark anyway. Mark Bright. So the, the the cup run itself, I went to the third the third round. I believe the third round, the FA Cup run. This is, I believe the third round was against Sunderland, one 0 at home, 
and I went on the old cop when you you could stand up, right? And one of the mm. few times I ever went on there, uh, I think I'm right in saying Bright scored late on. Tony Norman drops it, Bright knocks it in, and we went on this bit of a cup run in both cups. I went to the Derby quarterfinal. Paul Warhurst, I think, scored. Because Hurst gets injured, right? And Warhurst, who was a defender, Hurst gets a really bad injury. I don't know if this is the, the injury, but Steve Bold done him at Ibrick, down the back of the deliberate as well, down the back with the studs. And Hurst were never really the same again. Hurst's out with a big injury. Warhurst becomes a makeshift striker. Well, the man who um, the manager could play every single position. That's how I remember Paul Warhurst. You can just remember play. that guy, right? Yeah. Every single yeah, so. DM. A R L C or wasn't he Paul Worst? He's just Mr. Utility, wasn't he? He was a good footballer as well, wasn't he, Paul Worst? All right, well, all right. He ended up at, ended up at Bolton. He, was a bit, he never used to really get in our side. And it, then suddenly he went up front. And then it were like, oh my God, we've got like best striker ever. <laughs> nobody, nobody could believe it. He's like scoring loads of goals randomly. Um, so he goes, he goes, and we, we like get to the FA Cup semi final. Mm. Which was a big lot, game. Right? Yeah, I was going to ask you. But should we talk about this? So you play Sheffield oh, United God. in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. You win 2-1. That man, Chris Waddle, gives Wednesday the lead after only two minutes with a, with a really good free kick. Alan Cork, who looks about 73. I was watching highlights oh my of this. God. Yeah. I mean, he, he scores with a counter-attacking run. I mean, now he's got the energy given his age. Uh, I don't know how he managed it, but he equalised in 44 minutes. Goes into extra time and Mark Bright gets the winner with a with a near post header from a corner on 108 minutes. I mean, despite the fact you lost both cup finals that year, the fact you beat United in a FA Cup semi-final at Wembley, that must have been magic. Listen, Sachin, I'm, I'm going to assume my wife's never going to listen to this podcast, right? And I'm going to say this to you. I've got kids, yeah, and I'm, I'm married. This is the greatest day of my life, mate. I'm telling you now, this is the best thing in the world, right? <laughs> so, obviously, Sheffield's deserted this day. Everybody's gone. Apart from my mum and dad who just didn't go. I went with, like, this woman called Diane. Diane because they got us. Will you, will, you, will you watch our Jonathan on coach to Wembley? So I ended up doing me like neighbour to Wembley. I've just sat. I've just sat down in my seat. We're at other end because it's in front of United end. This one, yeah. Chris Waddle's pinged a free kick in thirty-five yards. Yeah, it's a great now, free kick. Yeah, I've spoke to Shez and to Waddle about this because I'm like mad geek and I love Wednesday. I've spoke. We've been, we've been chatting to him and that, and apparently as he's put ball down, Sheridan said to him, "Just hit it." This is Waddle talking. Sheridan's just said to Waddle, just hit it. Because Sheridan's were nominally free kick taker, right? And Waddle's just come out of nowhere. Bosh. Alan Kelly's. I've never felt a feeling like that, even to this day. Like, oh my God, what have you just done? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we've, we've, oh God, can't even explain it to you. And, and truth be said, in the game, we leathered him. We leathered him. We did. We, we played them off part, right? And Alan Kelly, who were their keeper. Republic of Ireland, he got a bunch of caps for them, he right? Was, yeah, that's good right. Good keeper. Yeah. Good yeah. keeper, right? Mate, he played like the best I've ever seen a goalkeeper play ever. It should have been like 20 mil to us. We, we just hammered him. Uh, for whatever reason, they soaked it up. He played incredibly well. Um, and the equaliser, yeah, Alan, what a bizarre... You know, like you, old footballers, we just think, you never played. How did you play? And like you said, looked like your granddad, didn't he? Like fisherman yeah. friend, the fisherman friend, ball head. Like, we used to call him upside down head because he had like ball head and big beard. Yeah, yeah, big, big, bald head, a big old grey beard. And he's gone on this run. He sort of sprinted through your defence and scored. And as I said, he's about 70 odd at this time. He looks it anyway. I mean, yeah, bizarre moment. 
really he had, he had this thing where he, he wasn't going to shave his beard off um, until they got knocked out of cup. So come off next day, then it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet, I bet, I bet you, I bet, I bet you went for Gillette. But after the day after that, <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, they equalized in Brighton. We were we were we were right behind the goal where Brighton knocked yeah. it in, right? And just oh my god, what a feeling! First free kick for Wednesday. And the second free kick for Sheffield Wednesday. Right, right. Makes his way to the edge of the area, moving up and down and uh, He's followed by Dean everywhere he goes. Viv Anderson's come up on the near side as we look. Chris Waddle, is he going to have a crack? Oh, he does, and he scores! Anything Paul Gascoigne can do, Chris Waddle can do. Alan Kelly beaten before he touched the ball. It's happened again in a Wembley semi-final. Clean strike, curling away from the goalkeeper. Sheffield Wednesday have the lead, and we've barely played a minute and a half. The best appearances, though, Carr does well. That's a better ball, Alan Cork. He's got Dean up if he wants. It's going to slide in. Yes, it's 1-1. Chris Waddle trying to get back to deny Alan Cork. The first really good ball that Franz Carr has played in this match and he plays in Alan Cork and there will be enormous delight in London as well as in Sheffield about that goal the last minute of the half on my right you can always get even attached to that Harks Wilson Worthington on the overlap and Carr who came with him puts it out for yet another corner Five in corners now. Bright! And in the end, the easiest goal you could wish for. And where was the man marking him on that post? Yeah, they'll be very, very disappointed. Tiredness maybe affects the concentration. You see Brian Dean there, gets dragged under the ball. Leaves Bright with a free header. And for once, Alan Kelly can do nothing, absolutely nothing about it. Woods comes, gets an excellent punch. And Sheffield Wednesday will be back at Wembley to play in the FA Cup final. Mark Wright, the scorer of the winning goal, takes Paul Warhurst for a ride. Chris Waddle. In the final, he was there with Tottenham. He will hope for a better outcome this time. And, of course, he might meet Tottenham Hotspur. He scored the first goal. Cork equalised. And Bright scored the winner in extra time. 106 minutes in total. Sheffield United's run comes to an end. Sheffield Wednesday are certainly getting to know Wembley. And yeah, on the way home, just everybody drinking and, and like, think like, you're like neighbour, you know, like, oh, I'm like, third, what am I this, I'm this point, like 11, 12. I think neighbour, like, give me a couple of cans of like calling Black Label. <laughs> remember being like, remember like having like a slight bevy of that beer, which is terrible, isn't it? 
you know what I mean? Childhood drinking, yeah. Um, but yeah, like just have incredible memories of, of the city being really excited in the, the beforehand yeah, as well. Imagine, yeah. And you know, they, they, they go on about Boxing Day Massacre, which is us beating them 4 nil in 79. They go on about them beating us a couple of years back at our place and them getting promoted, one thing or another. That will remains the greatest moment in Sheffield sort of derby history, right? They know it. We know it. And we shat on them. <laughs> what is the rivalry like with Sheffield United? Is it, I mean, is it split up geography-wise in the city? Are there certain areas which are United, certain areas which are Wednesday? Do you properly hate each other? Or is it quite friendly? So the, 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 the rivalry is incredibly fierce. Incredible. Like, like, it's a problem. You know what I mean? Oh, really? And I think we're aware of that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, they have quite a sort of active hooligan element that's always historically been very active and, and it's a, yeah, it's, it, it often erupts into violence and it's a, it's an issue. Um, we, they play where we used to play. So historically, Bramall Lane was our ground and we left it for bigger and better things and, and in the, in the absence of a club, the people at, Sheffield United Cricket Club or whatever it was or something like this formed Sheffield United 20 odd years after we'd formed we call them pigs because we think their ground is on the site of a inferior steel factory which made pig iron they call us the pigs because they believe our ground is on a former pig farm which all sounds incredibly petty uh, <laughs> and it is my thing bacon is pink it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. culmination of red and white, is it not? <laughs> so I think they're the pigs. But listen, it is, it's a problem, right? We, we ate them. And it, in, in terms of the geography of the city, it used to be sort of the southeast of the city would be Sheffield United. The northwest of the city would be, would be Wednesday, right? But with social mobility and time going over, it's a lot more sort of integrated than it used to be. I probably live geographically closer to uh, to Bramall Lane. The best thing that's ever happened in all of this is, is um, Sky were doing some billboards, right? And it's like the history of the Premier League. And obviously they've got an issue with Tevez because Tevez essentially relegated them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they dispatch. We love Tevez, right? So <laughs> sing about him. He's like a, I've got a Bocker scarf here. Like I love him, right? <laughs> Love him because he relegated United. Yeah, yeah. So there's some lad who works for Sky. I mean, they've, Sky have got like five billboards all advertising the same thing, but it's different players, yeah. right? And it's the history of the Prem. So the lad who works for must have worked for Sky who's doing the billboard bang up opposite Bramall Lane. Massive picture of Tevez. Oh, bang up fantastic. Opposite oh, just just like proper, just like they went mental, like lost their minds over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Was well, that yeah. definitely a Wednesday fan, do we know? We ever got to the bottom? Oh, yeah, we know. We, we know. <laughs> did it? We're like, boy, good luck. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That's I, th- I didn't realise how fierce it was. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And it gets quite oh, no, we, problematic. Yeah, we, we hate them. We really yeah. do. And it's, it's an old, obviously, it's, a, it's an old derby, you know, given mm. the fact football, 11, your football start. So the oldest derby in, in the whole of football is in Sheffield, which is uh, Hallam FC versus Sheffield FC. Still play. We've got the oldest ground, so so Saltergate. It's Saltergate they call it. Hallam FC's ground is the oldest continually used football ground, and the Wednesday United derby goes like back all all the way. Right, it's one of the oldest derbies there is. Um, and yeah, we just we just think they're all inbreds, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? Like 
I've got I've got a few mates who are blades and 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 I've got me my cousin married the son of a guy called Graham Shaw. So there was Graham and Bernard Shaw who were famous United players, yeah. I believe, and they played one of them played for England and all this. So with a lot of connections to to them and and like it it is sort of mostly in jest, but oh, we just love to stuff them. And and obviously this season they're back in championship and Wilder's gone and they're struggling a bit under Yukanovic. So it's it's been nice to finally like be able to give them a bit because because truth be said, Wilder and watching them playing such good football yeah. that season in Premier League, it were really hard to take because under Bassett, under Dave Bassett in the nineties, they had a good side, but they were always a sort of long ball Wimbledon style side. Yeah. And so we could always we we traditionally had a reputation for playing silky football and Chris Waddle and Sheridan and all this stuff and yeah, it were hard to take under Wilder because it were good. It were good to watch as well, yeah, right, as yeah. well as the, you know, yeah. and, and the, that 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 last season in the championship when we were together at Hillsbury murdered us four two. The David Brooks running through middle and just yeah, it's been it's been tough last few years. It has. It's been tough, um, but yeah, the the normal service will be, soon be resumed. I think because they're, they're they're sliding back down to yeah. uh, now. You're right. Down. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think Sheffield, you know, that season, well, they had two seasons in the Premier League. Obviously, one was very difficult for them, partly that lack of fans, but the one with fans, I mean, I thought they were absolutely outstanding that season. And just to stand up for Sheffield United fans a little bit, I work with a blade, a lad called John, Osh- John Ashdown, and he's he's properly sound. So I'll, I'll just say that. They're not all pigs. But, uh, yeah. No, no, there are, <laughs> there, are some, there are some good ones amongst them. I mean, um, weirdly, a lot of the musicians are Wednesday fans, right? So Richard Orley, uh, Jarvis Cocker, myself, Alex Turner, the lad from Milburn, I think Bring Me the Horizon, uh, Martin Ware from Evan Seventeen, a lot of the, a lot of the music uh, musical types of Wednesday fans. Um, who've they got? Andy Nicholson of the Arctic Monkeys, Toddler T off Radio, off the radio, Sean Bean is a blade. Of course, he is famous. Yeah, you know, made an entire film about his love for Sheffield United, didn't he? When Saturday comes, Sean Bean. Oh yeah. God, yeah, yeah, Bean, yeah. I mean, it, it hurt me a bit that because I loved him in Sharp. You know what I mean? And then we went and done that. Like, <laughs> yeah, we used to take Mickey out because a lad from our school were in that film and he's, he had like one line as Sean Bean were like coming up this hill and he were like, he's one line were like, uh, Gears a kick of your ball, Jimmy. <laughs> so whenever we used to see this kid at school, we'd be like, you know, Gears a kick of your ball, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get on from we'll move on from the the early nineties a little bit. Before we do, just want to, I do want to talk about Chris Waddle a little bit. You you, t- you touched on him a couple of times. Um, yeah, I remember watching him play. Obviously, I remember watching him play at the Italia ninety and thinking he was absolutely brilliant. Then for Marseille as well. And one thing that's slightly forgotten is when he came to Sheffield Wednesday in nineteen ninety two in the summer of ninety two, he was thirty one years old. He was about to turn thirty two. So he's He's getting on a bit, but he was he was still absolutely extraordinary, as you said that season. He was just is he is he fair fair to say the best player you've seen play for Sheffield Wednesday in terms of pure talent? I think he's one of the best players I've ever seen play anywhere. Just yeah. like like that thing about like it's almost like a, a sort of non English concept. This, but the the sort of the result matters, but isn't everything mm-hmm. right? Which is, is a, it's almost like a South American thing. This right where. He, he just made it, he enjoyed it and he made us enjoy it in a way that is, is hard to describe really. And he talks about this thing when he would get the ball and he'd hear, he'd hear do, 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 which is all the old wooden seats when all the bums, uh, when everybody stands up, everyone stand up, yeah, the yeah. bum up right and, and the, the seat. And, and he, he was that guy, he would, he, would, he would literally get you off your seat. Right? So I've got this, I don't know if you can see that there. I can, yeah. Just say John's holding up a picture of Chris Waddle next to, that's you, is it? That's you, handsome young that's John. Yeah. Like 
11 maybe, and that's me and Waddle there. Yeah. And obviously, in, in subsequent years, I've come to know him and, and consider him, if not an associate, a pal maybe. You know, like he, I, I've, I've hung out with him a bunch of times. I know his daughter, Brooke, really well, and his son, Jack. They're great people. And he's a, he's a lovely fella, Waddle. You know, we have... Uh, he has a charity match every year, and he's a, he's a, he's a genuinely humble, nice human. Uh, he go he goes and stands on the terraces with away fans like over the other week at Morecambe, and he stood on the on the terraces there. Oh, really? with so he's a he's, proper he's, Wednesday fan. He's sort of obviously adopted the club to his heart, isn't he? From what I think he, he made his he made his home here, yeah, and and um, he settled down here with his wife, and and they had children here and stuff, and like you know, you're on about Ron. He's got quite different views to me about Brexit and stuff, right? But but he's knowing him as a person and as a human, he's, he's a thoroughly like decent geezer. Mm. Uh, putting like political differences aside and whatever, he's just a, a, a genuinely good guy, you know what I mean? And I can't say enough nice things about him, really. Um, or his family, they're, they're good people. And I think um, 31 when he came, and, and he'd obviously had a lot of success at Marseille, narrowly missed out on a on a European Cup uh, win. Uh, they won it the year after he left. He'd played with Basil Bolly and, and Jean-Pierre Papin and a real superstar team, you know, one went for a big fee and were a real kind of footballing superstar, weren't he? And a lot of mm. people were sceptical when he came at 31. And uh, do you get, do they still have the football writers? Uh, award. They do, yeah, yes, every do, year. Do yeah. you get to do you get to vote? In it? I'm I I'm not a member of the Football Writers Association. I mean, I could easily be. I'm just too lazy to actually join. But yeah, no, they have it. It's a very prestigious. Award. I think Kevin De Bruyne won it last year. Or no, right, Ruben so, Diaz. Ruben Diaz, I think. Yeah, City's defender. Okay, so, yeah. so Waddle won it. He won it at Hillsborough. I'm pretty sure that's right. And he, he for for two, three, four years, just unbelievable. You know, just like I think. Truth be said. He, I think he moved, came to Wednesday because of Trevor, you know, because I think Trevor Francis persuaded him to come, who obviously had a first million pound player, probably to Waddle, if not a hero, somebody he would have respected in the game, right? This is Trevor Francis, a big star, mm. you know, as Waddle were coming into the game, maybe. Uh, and I think Trevor persuaded him to come. And in hindsight, he probably could have had his picker clubs. He could have gone anywhere he wanted because he was still at the peak of his powers in a lot of ways, you know, even for a season or two. And he were. He were just amazing. He were he were amazing and so good to watch, and it just made me fall in love with football and 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 made me realise that there was the summer other than winning. That's the reason we lo- we love football. It's not just about winning. It's it, it, this beauty to it. That's like he, he he stayed for a long time. He was there. I don't know how long he was there. Four, five, six, four six years. years maybe? Yeah, ninety-two four years. to ninety-six before going to Falkirk slightly randomly. But yeah, four yeah, years. He had a bit of a random like, end to his career, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, yeah. But like, what's amazing about him is he went to play for like what it bruns me or someone. He played in like, Sunday League, right? Yeah. And, and he, 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 there's this story he tells, which he says to everybody, right? It's just like his, his thing that he says to everybody. So whoever's marking him, the young kids, right? Fit guys who, who can run him off parks. He can't run. He get ball and he'll run at them and he's doing step of and they'll put them on their arse, right? Then he'll get up again. He'll put them on their arse, right? Then he'll cross it in. And obviously these young lads are terribly embarrassing. He'll lean into him and he'll say, don't worry, kid. Paolo Maldini fell for that one and all. Do you know what I mean? I just think, what, what, that's exactly what you want to hear, isn't it? That's exactly yeah. what you want to hear, right? That'll make you feel better, definitely. Once and he's such a dude, man. He'll, he'll stand and have a pint with you and he's got time for all fans. And he's like, as a human being, 
he's everything you want your hero to be, right? He's, mm. And and looking back, I look, I'm looking look at that photo. Right? Anson, like my auntie Christine, even now she's like eighty odd, like not eighty odd. She's been putting years on. She's about seventy five, <laughs> <laughs> right? But she, oh, she like loses the marbles over him. She's like, oh, them legs, them legs. And she used to go. She used to. We used to like. Sneak over. The steward used to let her go from our stand into her, where she was sat across, to, and she'd like she one of them would like take whiskey with uh, tea with whiskey and give you a drink even though you're underage. One of them, but she used to proper love him, and even now she's like, oh, them legs, get out of him. Like, you know what I mean? So he had he had a bit of like, he had a bit of that and all like yeah. mom, like, my mom, the old, old moms loved him because he was a bit yeah. cheeky, turned around and winked at crowd and all them kind of. He were, it, like I guess last of them players who who were like. And players who used to play with a smile on the face, yeah. you know, you, people like you know, just they, they would play Gaza, obviously, yeah. Vinnie Jones, Dwight York, to a degree. Just had, a, had that kind of like bit of humour about him, um, and yeah, just a just a wicked guy. Um, and that's before we even get into music, man. You know, he's, he's he's obviously a musical legend as well as a footballing legend, of course. Yeah, rivaling you for for hits. Yeah, obviously with Diamond Lights. I think I, I sort of feel Waddle's one of those players we sort of lost in modern football, which is that sort of swaggering winger. You know, we haven't got sort of traditional wingers in football anymore. You know, you've got sort of wide forwards and everyone plays sort of four three three and things. And he was a proper winger, and he had that. As I said, he had that sort of he had that swagger about him that wing only wingers have, only really skillful tricky wingers having I mean, sort of lost you know, those sort of figures in football i think a little bit oh do you know does remind me of him a little bit actually he's a bit quicker than waddle in fact no he wasn't because waddle could shift he, he was quicker than people thought he was actually waddle but um i've got to say morris we had morris reminds yeah, me yeah that's bit, a good he wants, to, he wants to run at you and he wants to come yeah. inside and he's got that terrific left foot um and i just i love them players them players yeah. will run at someone and they'd be great to watch i, lo- I mean i love saka for the same reason i love mm. him at euros because he'll get ball and he'll run at you and that's that's got to be exciting because because yeah. i think that's with you know i think tick attacker but I, I, I know i'm getting a bit kind of theoretical about it here but that sort of pass thing and the, the sort of got coached out of players for a little minute didn't it that sort mm. of willingness to take people on in that way Let's talk about another player, a very another talented player for Sheffield Wednesday, but in this case, one who was also a bit bonkers, uh, Paolo Di Canio. You were oh. there when he pushed a ref, weren't you? <laughs> Listen, this guy, man. We, so by this point, we, 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 me and my brother are going with my mum and dad, right? We go on his own. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we're like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going on his own. We're sitting on cop. We don't sit on North Stanwick families. We're not cop. We're behind goal. We think we're like, we think we're something now. <laughs> Right, so I must be. I'm getting about up to fifteen, so yeah, I'm looking 15, after my yeah. kid. I'm yeah. looking after my kid brother, and all this. We go on boats, we go together, all this stuff. Right, we signed Canio from Celtic, and I think we pay four and a half million, do we, for him, something like this. Like that, yeah. yeah, and he's been a super, he's been a superstar at Celtic in a, in an era when Scottish football were, you know, let's say we have been disrespectful, better than it is now. He'd come down from Celtic and he's wearing white boots because all coloured boots have come in. Everyone's wearing Mm. purple boots and all this stuff, right? White boots, all this kind of gear. So he's wearing white boots and he's 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 incredible. There's no other way of describing it. He's 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 different to Waddle. He's he's more of a I guess than of a ten. You would describe him as a ten, wouldn't you? He he weren't an out. He's a forward, yeah. Sort of off the front man type. Yeah. Yeah, he would play as a 10, I guess, um, off off the forward. Uh, you know, it weren't maybe a false nanny. He was old-fashioned, Trekker Quister. You know, remember that on on Footy Manager? You'd have played him there, right? Yeah, yeah. And he were wonderful. Great to watch. 
really sort of tempestuous, always kicking off and uh, his teammates at the opposition, at the referee. He looked dead cool. There's a cafe down here, not far from uh, from here. There's a, there's a cafe and you would see, it's like an Italian place, right? And you would see him uh, driving there with his sunglasses on, you know, sitting outside the Italian cafe with his little coffee. and all. Just a cool guy, right? Because yeah. we've never, at this point, Wednesday's not had a lot of, foreign players you know we've had Roland Nielsen incredible servant to the club wonderful um, but a quiet humble dude you know we've mm. had we've had players from Ireland you know we've, but no one really from further afield and, and suddenly we've got this Italian guy who's very charismatic handsome incredible footballer and yeah it's all going brilliant he scores a last minute goal um a last minute goal at home to Barnsley where he sidesteps the keeper and just slots it in and we're doing well, right? We're doing everything's everything's good, and then we play Arsenal, and it all just everything just uh, no, everything just goes mental, and you just like you know when I'm like I'm turning to our kid, and I'm like, what what what's just gone off there? And I saw him do it. I what I was looking at him as he did it. You know, he pushed ref. I don't. I can't quite remember what had gone off. Well, should I tell you? Because I've actually, uh, I was watching this back in, in, the, in preparation for this. I'll just go through cool. the incidents that day and then you tell me what you actually remember. So, yeah, as John said, it was, uh, it was a game between Sheffield Wednesday and Arsenal at Hillsborough on Saturday, 26th of September, 1998. And uh, Sheffield Wednesday won the game 1-0. I think Richie Humphreys got the goal. And in the 44th minute of that game... Um, I should say Arsenal champions at the time as well. So it was a big win for Sheffield Wednesday. In the 44th minute of that game, Di Canio got in a tussle with Patrick Vieira after he had shoved uh, Vim Yonk, who was your Dutch midfielder at the time. <laughs> it got into a bit of a tussle. Di Canio came over. He's sort of scrapping with Vieira a bit. It's all kicking off. Martin Keown then typically gets involved. Di Canio reacts to that by volleying Keown, literally just absolutely having a whack in his leg at him. He also uh, appeared to eye gouge him a bit as well. It's all kicking off, as I said, it's, it's, it's properly escalated. Referee comes over, Paul Olcott, shows Di Canio the red card, and in response, Di Canio pushes him over. Uh, Olcott takes a rather comical tumble to the turf, and talking about that tumble in his autobiography, Di Canio said, I could push my eight-year-old daughter Ludovica that way, and she wouldn't fall over. It looked bizarre. My first reaction was that somebody must have been crouching behind him like in one of those old slapstick comedies. And the other thing I think most people remember about that game as well is Nigel Winterburn's reaction. He comes over to kind oh, of have a go God. at Decanio as he's walking off. Decanio sort of throws himself at him and Winterburn absolutely shits himself as well. Um, the whole <laughs> thing is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, what are your memories of it? I mean, obviously just kicked oh. off, I think almost out of nowhere. It was, as it was Yonk sort of having a go at Vieira. Vieira's had a go back. Decanio's got involved. Keown's got involved. And it, yeah, so it's escalated from there. So I mean, firstly, that Arsenal team were just horrendous, and there's the there's the this sort of history about the bold thing with Hurst because yeah. bold were nasty, and he finished Hurst right. Nigel Winterburn were never the same again. Nigel Winterburn <laughs> had a reputation as sort of a, a, a kind of tough, really tough fullback, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Like, they were tough that side, weren't they? That George Graham Arsenal side. I don't remember were Wenger manager by then or Bruce Beoff yeah, maybe, right? But they'd always had a reputation as being tough, right? Winterburn were never tough again. We no. absolutely shat his pants, didn't he? Paolo just gave him that. Paolo just gave him that. You fucking, you're giving them eyes, didn't you? Like, you fucking come near me and I'll cut you. You know what I mean? Like, just like pure psycho eyes and Winterburn just, yeah, you could, yeah, hilarious, right? Uh, <laughs> in pushing the ref. Oh, listen, if we're talking about, going back to that Waddle thing, we're talking about football as entertainment. It's pure pantomime, right? It's yeah. immense. Like, it's like, oh my God. And a, and a massive part of it. 
a massive part of me. He loved him. For, I shouldn't say this, should I really? But I love him. I loved him for it. I love Zidane, yeah? He, Zidane's my favourite player ever, right? I love him. I got was fortunate to see him play once for France. I love the guy. Paolo had that, had that thing, that, 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 that line between genius and madman. Uh, he, he went over and back every single time, right? And just immense. Old cops fall. He's, he's lit. Yeah, he's, yeah, pure slapstick. Sheffield Wednesday against Arsenal in 1998 and a challenge on Patrick Vieira leads to a mass brawl. Paolo Di Canio and Arsenal's Martin Keown are both shown the red curve by referee Paul Alcock. I just remember Paolo Di Canio coming, coming from the side, side vision of me really and uh, pushing Mr. Mr. Alcock. It was like he'd been to some sort of school of slapstick in the preceding three days. He'd just nipped over from Lecoq in Paris. It was like six steps, falling, falling, and he's over. It was so embarrassing. Uh, uh, there must have been referees across the country cringing into their pipes. If he'd just gone straight down, it wouldn't have been too bad, but actually he'd been out of refereeing for quite a while with a bad bat. So he staggers backwards, almost like a drunken man, trying to stay on his feet, because for a referee, it's very undignified to fall to the ground. But in fact, it makes it look more ridiculous. Di Canio was fined £10,000 and banned for 11 games. The greatest thing about the entire incident is not Di Canio's conduct, which was obviously reprehensible, but Nigel Winterburn. <laughs> Nigel Winterburn is getting it loads. Come on then, come on, any, any time you want, right here or on the cobbles. And all of a sudden he stopped, and for a split second I thought, he's going to smack me, and he pulled his fist back, and I thought, time to move. As soon as the canio turns one eyelash towards him, Nigel jumps back, he's terrified. The flinch that Winterburn does, he is such a kitten. <laughs> He stopped and I sort of ducked and moved out of the way and uh, the rest is probably history because everybody looks at that now and uh, even I do and look at it, it looks so, so funny and just start laughing when I see it. The Canio's still going mad when he was running off. I'd love to know what he said in the dressing room, so take him half an hour to calm him down. The thing about the Paolo thing is this for me. You see when Cantona had done his Kung Fu kick, right? Different incidents, but similar, yeah? What did Fergie do? He's a bastard, but he's our bastard, yeah. right? He put his arm round him, all that stuff. All this tempestuous Latin guy, all whatever, load of cliches in it. You can roll them out for days on end, right? But ultimately, Fergie, man management, puts his arm round Cantona. Cantona returns, they win the league, right? What does Danny Wilson do? Hands him out to dry. Hands him out to dry. It's poor man management in my book because, because what they should have done is think, this guy, all right, he's a nutter, but let's just... Put it to bed, he's going to get a big fine and a ban. He's going to do his bad, he's going to come back, we're going to be fine. And instead, the only amount to dry, and I think we ended up selling him to West Ham for like a, a cut down price. Didn't yeah, yeah. End. And he went to West Ham and he was incredible and he scored that legendary goal that they all talk about. And he was brilliant for West Ham and he's a legend at West Ham, rightly so. Again, we're going about missed opportunities for the club. To me, this is a missed opportunity because you can chart the decline from that moment. You really can. You know, Wednesday, all right, it weren't quite as good as maybe the, the, a few seasons earlier, but we were doing well. I think we might have got seventh in league under plea or something like that. And Wilson, we looked all right at first. We were terrible after that. We were, we were, we were, we were, you know, relegation come a 
two, three seasons after that, we were never any good after that. And, and that feels like the the turning point to me because the club, the only man to dry, didn't they? You know what I mean? And it was stupid what he did. And he's an idiot, was an idiot. And again, you would, you know, we talk about Ron, some of Paolo's views are really bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Really yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. As bad as it gets, right? All that he'll do chase stuff. But I don't want to hear that. You know, and, and this guy's got it tattooed on his body. So another problematic fella, but we're talking about him as a, foot, a professional footballer who had incredible ability and he was there to do a job. And I, I think the, the club made a mistake there. But yeah, I'll never forget it. I'll never, ever, ever forget it. Just just a, just a mental a mental moment that, you know, you know they, they did that great thing, didn't they? Uh, Gary Lineker and, and Ian Wright, who I adore, uh, did that podcast, didn't they, in the, in the summer and they were on about greatest moments, top 10 moments or whatever it were. And I think that were in there, mm. right? And to have, it sounds daft, but to have witnessed that retrospectively is great because it's a moment of history. It really yeah. is. It's, it's a real like, legendary I was there moment. Did you see the push? Did you literally, yeah. were you, you yeah, and your brother, did, did you see yeah. it? Yeah, you saw what happened, yeah. Because you know because the way they were angled from where we were sat, yeah, I kind of were like side on to them both so you could see the sort of, yeah, just where he fell down and we just like, did he just push ref? <laughs> I fucking push ref? What the fuck? You know, all that, just like, yeah. <laughs> that's how you talk. You know, what the fuck? Go proper high You know what I mean? And just like, yeah, just like flabbergasted. Um, but they, listen, Carboni were equally as crackers, right? So yeah, Carbo- yeah. we had Carboni. Yeah. Worth noting, he would, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be uh, sort of overlooked. I won soccer him a few years back, and he done me a message. Hey, John, it is Benito. <laughs> All this, right? <laughs> terrible Italian accent. I've got like, some Italian cousins. I apologise for the Italian <laughs> terrible Italian accent. Um, yeah, like like both the, the they were a bit of a duo, right? Uh, so it's yeah. not just Paolo. It's it's, it's Carboni and Di Canio. They were kind of the two of them. Carboni, we listen to this, this. Listen to this for a terrible bit of sort of racial stereotyping. On he, on their arrival at Hillsborough, I know you're going to say photo shoot. Yeah, they yeah. Did, it's so fucking bad, man. It's they so did a photo shoot. Like, what can we? What can we do to like? You know, like really like just like you know, be a bit like low key racist. I know. We'll go to Asda, <laughs> get a frozen pizza, not even cook it, and we'll get them to pretend to eat some pizza. Uh, horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous, um, but yeah, the two of them, and, and so Carboni Earth's on his way out at this point, right? So on his sort of decline as a as a player by this point, I, I guess it's fair to say, and he's not long for going off to Southampton. And him and Deca- him and Carboni are fine on the pitch, proper proper Graham Lasso and David. Batty I can't remember so. this. Was this yeah, an actual a, game? Yeah, they had a scrap. Oh, wow. They were right in front of us, and, and I guess that's the sort of moment when. It, the, the culture of the club were changing because you've got that sort of Erst, mm. Ron Atkinson, Trevor Era, giving way to that sort of mid-90s, mid to late 90s Italian kind of era. And we're bringing in a lot of sort of foreign talent by this point. Vim Yonk coming in. who Everybody says he were a failure at Wednesday and I feel sorry for Vim Yonk. Ultimately, if you're pinging 60-yard balls to Andy Booth, <laughs> right, it's not Dennis I mean? Burkamp, is it? That's the problem. I'm not. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> what I'm saying to you. You're pinging him up to, to Dennis. No problem. He's going to do something amazing. You're pinging him to Andy Booth. You're going to look shit, aren't you? You know what I'm saying? So I feel sorry for Vin Young. I do. I feel sorry for him. Uh, I think he got. A, but we had, we had, we got. A, we had a few. You know, this is the era of, of sort of the 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 cheap foreign import, I guess, in the Premier League, right? Which I think enriched our game beyond recognition right so football became a different thing suddenly but we had a, we had a few players at, around this era so we're getting Reggie Blinker 
everyone's wearing Reggie Blinker wigs, right? Which is another weird kind of what we're doing, wearing like <laughs> stockings with dreadlocks stitched to them. Like, is this really a pro? Is this is this not is this not cultural appropriation? <laughs> uh, yeah, Reggie Blinker wigs. So we got Reggie Blinker, we got Orlando Trustville, uh, Class Ingerson. We signed from Bari for a for a big fee. Um, we've got Des Walker, who, who we shouldn't gloss over Des Walker at this point. Who um, what a defender! What a de- and another player who really, if I'm if I'm to be truly honest, came to Wednesday when he could have gone elsewhere, and he was still, truth be said, a bit too good for us. Uh, and uh, same with Waddle to, to yeah, you know, what I mean, I think you have to sort of know your where yeah. your club really sits in that thing to it. And, and we overachieved by getting days because he'd been at Sampdoria, I think it were, and he came back. Uh, and we, you know, you'll never beat this Walker, so goes the song, but like he were amazing days. And he used to play at you know, at side of people like Andy Pierce, and and without being disrespectful to anybody in particular, he would have a host of central defensive you know they used to say that thing about about uh, Danny Drinkwater in that Leicester side when he said uh, he had Danny Drinkwater in the middle we can say either side of him yeah right and it's that thing with Des he would do he would he would he often just defending on his own amazing player Des Walker and we, we had a good you know we, we think about the decline being from 93 onwards but it wasn't we had a good side throughout mm. the majority of the mid 90s and it was still entertaining to watch I don't know. I just don't. I don't know what happened. Really, it just it all got a bit weird after a bit. I think we made some bad signings. We got a guy called Mark de Grisa from Bel- Belgium. We, we started to make like really bad decisions. So we signed Darko Kovacevic, who was terrible for us. Went to somewhere like Red Star Belgrade for a million, and the following season went to Juve for seventeen million. And was like unbelievable. Yeah, I remember that. It was really odd, that wasn't it? He was absolute donkey for you. He was, he was a mm. really poor player. And then at Juventus a few years later, he's tearing it up, and he's like top scorer in Serie A. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We made some bad decisions. We signed Andy Boo, which was a bad sign. He got a bad injury, so it means he was kind of crocked. Erst had got a bad injury and never became the player he should have been. And it just sort of started to manage. Some of the managerial appointments were a bit short-sighted. Dave Richards was the chairman and did, I don't think did a particularly good job. And and the club, you know, the, the, the league finishes start to become less and less. Yeah, and it, I guess towards the end of the, the millennia, it was just getting a bit stale. You know what I mean? Ron had come back, that had not worked. Danny Wilson... Can't remember who else we had. Did we have Paul Jewell or someone like that? Mm, sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, and it were all just getting a bit rubbish and, and obviously then relegation not long after. And and I have to be honest, I can't lie. By this point, I'm 18. I'm out. I'm having a laugh. I'm into sex, drugs and rock and roll or whatever it, you're into at that age. And and I just sort of lost it a bit. I lost, I lost love for it a bit because... I'm fickle like that, I guess. I wasn't. You are when you're 18, right? Mm. You were a bit fickle, aren't you? I'm into music. I'm at uni. I've got other priorities. So for the first time in 10 years, I don't have a season ticket, right? I let my season ticket lapse. My, my cousin, our Tom, starts going with my brother instead. They carry on going. And they, they yeah, they witness some fucking misery. <laughs> some mm. real shit. You know what I mean? My brother's on a, my brother tells me a story about going to Reading on like a Tuesday night and he's like sideways sleep coming across and we're like 4-1 down after like 20 minutes or something and I'm like oh god I'm glad I were like not doing that you know so there's a there's a lot of that um, and there's a bit of a gap then in the Wednesday 
I didn't go to Cardiff in 2005, whatever it were. I was doing my band by this point. Yeah. I'm in studio, I'm into, I'm into music by this point, I'm into other things. And so there's a bit of an hole in my Wednesday line. I've still followed them, still followed results and that, but they sort of f- fell out of love with them a bit. You know, and I didn't go to any away matches, didn't go to any home matches really, apart from odd one uh, for, for like maybe 10 years. You, do, you, just, you know what I mean? It happens, doesn't it? And, and my brother, uh, they all take piss out of me. They all call me like, you know, all that fair weather. You, 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 you deserted us, all this shit. Uh, it's worth noting, I got back into it and I got me back into buying a season ticket whilst we were in League One. So it's not like I'd like... You care, home. John, you care. You... Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, yeah, like got, yeah. it's not like I got back on, but equally, it does needle me a bit and like... Um, it's like an easy thing for my brother to... We, me and my brother, like, just... You know when you're just a dickhead to your brother, just cos? Yeah. I mean, that's my brother's, like, line. And it's like, well, now we're going to ready in a way. You were nowhere to be seen now because he's younger than me. He did go in 93. Went to cup final against Arsenal, but never went to semi against Blades because he was too little. And my mum won't let him go. And I'm like, you didn't go in 93, Chris. And it, oh, yeah. <laughs> it hurts him. I see him. I see Because he's, he's... My brother has done something. You know, like, in terms of, like, hours, services rendered. Yeah. Nobody. No, when we finally get back to Prem, no one deserves it more than him. Because you know what I mean. But yeah, that hurts him. You didn't go yeah. in ninety three, Chris. It's like oh, he crushes his soul. I think so. Yeah, bit of a bit of a bit of a dark time for Wednesday that. But yeah, the 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 guy who sticks out from that era is Lee Bullen, who I guess sort of scored that important goal for us, and 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 it was sort of the hero of that playoff final in Cardiff. Got us back into championship, which we subsequently got relegated from again. Um, poor crap. We had bad, we were badly run. We almost went bust. Um, remember, I did football focus with Waddle and Mark Lawrence and live from the pitch. And it was like the day we'd got like, they only give you these deadlines to like, remember it happened to Bury, didn't it? They did it to Bury, didn't they? Like, you know, you've got till such and such to bail yourself out. And I think Howard Wilkinson and then later Milan Mandarich came with like a rescue package. But there were a moment when the club itself looked like not existing, which were which were hard. You know, and looking back, we came very close to it, actually. So yeah, we've been we've been badly run. It's it's uh yeah, and then then that amazing season in League One. We were third in the league for much of it. Then we played United at home and we missed it we, we, we Reverend and the makers were supporting Noel Gallagher that night the uh, O2 in London and we missed the gig uh, missed the match and O'Grady scored with, a, with an header and we picked them to promotion which was just oh, such a feeling man is that, that is, that, is that the equivalent of your uh, of your brother not being at the 93 cup final the big game that you missed in your sort of no no because I, I, I was at every other game that season and I was at the, the one that mattered, Wickham, when we go went up. Um, we had Mikhail Antonio. How did he uh, play for you? I didn't realise that. Oh, wow. He was the one who, he was the one who got us up, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I said that. The, 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 the crucial goal was scored by Niall Ranger, who lifted his shirt up to say uh, to reveal a message which said uh, changed man, uh, yeah. which evidently turned out to be utter bullshit, didn't it? Yeah, I was gonna say he's had a he's had a checkered life, shall we say. That's probably the yeah, I mean, least I mean, you can say about him. He's, he had he had a lot of talent that guy, you know. Mm. It's a it's a shame, but yeah, we had we had Antonio who who was just insanely good for us. Um, uh, yeah, him and Jermaine Johnson, 
Reader Johnson as well. We had great another one who like just loves the club and who's who's been involved. But yeah, great went up under under Dave Jones uh, back to the championship, and it, it, they were a good feeling round club then because we Mandovich is selling the club to Mister Chan Siri around that time, and it felt good again. We we're back in the championship. It felt like we'd got a chance of getting back to where we should be, you know. We and then we get Carlos Carver Hallin. Oh, I got got like dead pally with Carlos. He used to come to me gigs. Oh, really? He used to like, yeah, we used to like go for Portuguese meals together. He seemed like and a bit like, of a lad actually when he's at Swansea. He seemed like oh, he like a bit of a laugh out, Carlos. He's, Carlos is the man. He's a rock and roll. He's a oh, rock really? and roll star, isn't he? Nice. Yeah, he's he's a proper dude. And he used to like, <laughs> he'd, he'd be like telling us like bits of like inside info and that. We used to go to this Portuguese restaurant and that. And um, he wants to give me some beads. A bit weird, this like he give me these beads, right? <laughs> And my brother still like laughs at this. My brother's like, "Why is he give you some beads?" I'm like, "They're like friendship beads." And he's like, "What's that about? Like, does he love you?" And I'm like, "I don't know." So my brother like even now takes pissy. He's like, "So my brother's got this weird box, yeah, of weird Wednesday things. You know, like weird, just weird objects. Yeah. He's got this like weird lampshade from the '60s with a Wednesday badge on it, right?" So I've given him Carlos's love beads are in my brother's box for safekeeping. That's what I got to say, without getting too deep, it sounds like you and your brother. We've got a really strong relationship and Wednesday is a key part of that. Like the reason perhaps that you two are so fond of each other and have such a loving, lovely relationship is is because of your sort of shared love of the club as well. You've so many anecdotes of you and talking about you and Chris being at the game and things you and Chris, you know, taking the piss out of each other and stuff. Feels like Wednesday's bonded you two. Yeah, I think that's what football clubs do. You know, like yeah. sometimes when I get into sort of philosophical debates with people who don't like I'm getting into the realms of like your profession here like foot it is sort of justifying why people why football's important or whatever or what the role of football is and i think it's that we all want a sense of tradition me i don't like that militaristic tradition in this country i don't it's not the thing i want to celebrate right about i think there are many good things about this country that sort of side of things mm-hmm. isn't for me that poppy thing i, I get it that's it. that's your thing cool man no problem but it's not mine mm. what Football, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a thing that links families. It's a tradition. It's a, it's a, it's a thing you can pass from generation to generation. So yeah, there's me and Chris, and then there's the, I've got this. I've got this. Like I've got this photo here, which is my auntie Christine, who, who the one who loves Chris Waddle's legs. <laughs> uh, she's eighty, she, stroke seventy. She made a banner in the, oh, in wow. the when we got to Wembley, and she was in the, the newspaper. So, so yeah, Chris is showing me a picture of his, his Auntie Christie's banner. That is some epic uh, stitching going on there. It's absolutely cool, massive, right? It? Yeah. yeah, it's really, yeah, so really nice. Auntie Christine, and it's like the link to the past, right? So that yeah. now we now we go. There's me, Chris, um, Tom, my cousin. Winty cousin, he's like uh, his mum's cousin, but he's our age, so he's grown <laughs> up and he's like his best mate, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's me, Chris, Tom, my son Lenny, who is six, who is completely football obsessed and it's good this season because he's getting to you know because obviously i've been trying to like persuade him to be a wednesday out whilst we've been like utter dog shit oh. do you know what i mean when when josla hookah is picking like loads of like reserves to like get us relegated you're like it's hard to sell the dream in it you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's like, yeah. my mate sports man united my mate sports liverpool is so i went through this thing where i'm thinking i'll let him have any kit he wants apart from United or Leeds. So he's got an Everton kit, he's got a Liverpool kit, he's got a Man United kit, he's got an England, all this. But uh, whilst trying to take him to Wednesday, right? So this season, 
bringing us right up to date. We're winning a few games and yeah. he's getting to, he's winning and he's getting to like, you know, Barry Bannon waved at him when he were, when he were walking up. So it's good again Wednesday and, and that tradition, um, mm. that tradition is being passed on to, to my son and I hope will continue because I think, I think if we haven't got that, what else have we got? You know what I mean? I don't want to have petty nationalistic or regionalistic rivalries. I think it's all, football's a, a, a way of harmlessly expressing that side of the, the human condition, right? In a, yeah. in a harmless and fun way. So I, I think it's great and I, and I, and I love going I weren't going to have a season ticket this season because we've been so rubbish. And then I went to like the League Cup match and I thought, we've made a few decent signings and I really like Darren Moore. I think he's a, been a real force for good. And there's a bit of a sort of changing vibe amongst the fan base, I think, as a result of having him there. And, and I think, yeah, it feels like a good vibe at the minute at the club. Uh, still have huge reservations about the chairman who I think he's the son of a rich, a successful businessman rather than being a successful businessman. And I think there's a slightly strange deference among some of our fans who equate wealth with competence. Hmm. I think that about people yeah. in general. Well, I, was gonna say, I think a lot of football fans are guilty of that. I mean, yeah, you said probably people in general as well. Yeah, Rich people uh, can be stupid. Let's, let's, yeah. let's not forget that. But listen, the club's in a good place and, and, and we go and we, we love it and, and it's... I hope it'll always be there for us because it, it gives us it gives us on a very basic level gives us a thing we can <clears throat> all go and do together and just be together in a way that's not about alcohol or about music or it's just a thing you can go, go and do with a bunch of people and be close to them and and that you won't see otherwise you know what I mean and I think football's it's I love it man I do I love it I think it's it's there's something. I can't, I don't know, I, I look at them sometimes, you know, obviously I'm a musician and they maybe look at me when I'm singing and think, ooh, how, how does he do that? I look at Barry Bannon pinging all of that on a Saturday and I think, you sexy little motherfucker, Barry. <laughs> I love you, Barry. I love you. And your haircut that looks like it's from 1960s. Like, I just, I, I just look at him and I think he's a genius. He's a, he's a bloody genius and I, it just gives me a, a, a very basic pleasure going and, going and watching him and, and like, long may it continue. That's fantastic. All fantastically put. So, yeah, just, just to come up to the very modern day. So, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday currently second in League One. Uh, three wins and one draw and one defeat from the opening five games. Having had a properly chaotic season in the Championship last year, we had a six-point deduction and four different managers uh, prior to getting relegated. But, yeah, you're doing well now in League One under, under Darren Moore, as you said. And, um, yeah, all looking optimistic and all looking pretty good for Wednesday. Um John, you've been absolutely fantastic. Absolutely utter joy speaking to I've you. I've enjoyed it, mate. Thank you. It's been amazing. Before I let you go, because I know your wife, wife's trying to call you, you've probably got things to get on with. Just want to go through two more things with you, if that's okay. The first thing of the, of the last two things to go through with you is your all-time Sheffield Wednesday 11. You were kind enough to, uh, to provide an all-time mm. 11. So I should say, when guests come on this podcast, ask them to pick an all-time 11 based on 11 players they've seen during their time supporting their club. So let's go through John's all-time Sheffield Wednesday 11. It's in a 4-4-2 formation. In goal, Kieran Westwood. Back four, Roland Nielsen, Nigel Pearson, Des Walker and Nigel Worthington. In midfield, uh, we have got uh, the gorgeous Barry Bannon, Carlton Palmer, John Sheridan and, of course, Chris Waddle. And up front, David Hurst and uh, the legend that is Paolo Di Canio. So, um, 
one big observation from me, John, is that you've got seven members of the 92, 93 squad in that team. So that, again, just sort of underlines how important that team was for you. And I do just want to talk about David Hurst. You mentioned him a few times. Yeah, um, 106 goals in 294 games for Wednesday between 1986 and 1997. And he really was very good, wasn't he? I mean, I think the most famous thing about him probably was that Alex Ferguson was absolutely desperate to, to sign him, uh, bring him to Manchester United. And after he failed with a £3 million bid in November 1992, he instead decided to sign Eric Cantona. So if um, if Hurst had gone to United, maybe the history of modern English football would have been very different. But yeah, proper club legend, wasn't he, David Hurst? Yeah, came from Barnsley, still still around the place. Uh, his son, George, was at the club for a while and because of, of the chairman, essentially, we lost we lost George and he went to, to Leicester in the end. Um, but yeah, David Hurst is a good laugh, Hurst. You know what I mean? You see him about the place. He's a, he's a bit of a character. It's a cliche to say he could have been better than Shearer, but he genuinely was that good. He was Maybe. that good, that natural. He had a pace, power, incredibly uh, powerful left foot. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Steve Bold's tackle, it were, you can go back and look at it, it was a very bad challenge and, and, it, and it appears to be entirely deliberate. Uh, and he says, listen, I'm not going to say Steve Bold, we should condemn him forevermore, but it was a bad challenge, you know, and it, I don't think Gersty were ever quite the same. Uh, through no fault of his own, um, and he soldiered on. He was that he was that good. I, I think a lot of players wouldn't have ever been able to salvage any career after that injury. You know what I mean? They'd have been shattered forever. And he he came back and he did all right. You know what I mean? But but them early years, phew, and they went on like a tour down under. Maybe I think him, Brian Dean, and Shearer all get capped around the same time. And I think Deep, Brian Dean and Urs get they get a couple of caps. And he were just on fringes of England side and. Yeah, it could have been very different. You know, there's a there's a copy of FHM somewhere with David Hurst on the front cover. Um, That's the ultimate a, recognition of his talent, isn't it? It was a bit of an art from Hurst. You know, you look back, you're like, you're handsome bastard, you Hurst. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the women of early 90s Sheffield, like my cousins, oh, Hurst, oh, he's right nice. So, yeah, we're a bit of a bit of an art from Hurst. Yeah, I think he had a bit of an earring in. You know what I mean? A bit of that, a bit of gel in his hair. You know them tubs of gel with like a big, like, Illuminous oh. blue tubs of gel. Mate, I remember them well from the early nineties. Don't worry, I used a hell of a lot of that illuminous gel. Yeah, we, oh, all... we used to go for his, we used to go for his haircut in St. Barbers and we're like, first <laughs> comes here, picture him in like, like insane amounts of gel in his hair. I'm like, first he comes here, I'm like, oh yeah. So yeah, he was a man. He was a man, Erst. Um, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a shame. But listen, he's he's had a, he had a great career and he, he's still around. He's, he's he loves Wednesday. I know he does, and he's always got time for you. And my little lad, whenever he's David Hurst names mentioned. He's like, he rubbed my hair once in pub, David Hurst. Because, you know, Hurst, you want to sort of ruffle Al in his hair when we saw him in pub. So, like, yeah, legend. And uh, and I wish him and his family notebooks of, you know, success and happiness because he's a good fella. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, John, I'm going to let you go. Before I let you go, the final question that I always ask on this podcast, and I'm, I'm going to ask it to you. If you go back in time and change one moment from your time supporting Sheffield Wednesday up to now, and it can be absolutely anything, it could be a match, it could be a transfer, it could be a goal, it could be a very personal experience, absolutely anything, what would you change? Danny Wilson's response to Paolo Di Canio pushing Alcock, which is the sensible answer. It's not the heart. The heart answer is I've stopped fucking Chris Waddle dropping Andy Linnigan's header in. Uh, Chris Woods dropping Andy Linnigan's fucking header in, in, in 93, which made me cry. But the, the sensible answer is that I would change the way Wilson dealt with the Canio affair because I think if we'd have kept the Canio, 
you know, the history of the club subsequently might have been very different. So, yeah, there you go. Danny Wilson. Danny Wilson has ruined every club in South Yorkshire, it's worth knowing. He's managed everyone. <laughs> you know, all, he needs to, all he needs to do is manage my kids' Sunday league team and <laughs> fucking ruin them and all. Because honestly, he's, he's shafted us all. We used to call him the age of Wilson. He went to, <laughs> he went to, he went to Bramall Lane and shafted <laughs> them and all. So, yeah, crack on, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> on, that, on that vicious note <laughs> <laughs> savagery savagery John McClure thank you so much God bless you Sachin thank you mate good evening ladies and gentlemen we're Revenue and Makers I hope that you all have a good time watching us and you all know that I'm a positive thing you know I want to tell you a positive message truly I don't just say bad things this next song's called Anyway Champion of the World. It's just a song about a great man. Yes, you take it too much room. You think you're gonna take it? I'm losing. 